Explore Talks. This podcast is hosted by Explore Life Science, part of Source Group International. This show is dedicated to showcasing success stories of exceptional careers and personal journeys in and around the life science space. Thank you for tuning in today. This is our second episode of the Women Who Lead post-COVID series. We are interviewing the leaders across the industry and hearing their professional journeys and how we are navigating the impact of COVID-19 through science, innovation and collaboration. Life sciences have seen significant growth in the last two years and the industry finds itself in a position of relative strength. Because of this, we are seeing shifts across leadership to help drive continued growth for the long term. My name is Rebecca Lord of Fletcher and I'm the Head of Marketing at Source Group International and joining me is Ian McCulley, Associate Director at Explore Life Science, and I'm really excited to announce our second guest today. Welcome to Explore Talks, Michael O'Brien, Executive Coach, Speaker, and Chief Calm Officer. Hi, Ian. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, welcome back to Explore Talks, Michael. It's, uh, it's great to see you again. Um, really looking forward to hearing your perspective on our topic, which uh, is particularly focused on female talent across life sciences. I'm I'm totally excited to be with you guys across the pond. I guess as they say, you know, it's been it's been a minute. So a lot has happened, I think, in our lives here in the States and your lives over there and really across the world. So I think doing this series again is very it's a very important contribution you're making, a timely update, and I'm looking forward to diving in. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, as you say, across the pond, um, it's going to be interesting to hear your perspective. And actually, if we do correlate it, uh, relate it directly to what's happened in the UK as well. Um, so without further ado, I'll jump in. Um, so we obviously spoke, Michael, I think it was 2019. So pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. Um, just could you kind of remind us of your story and your background um, and trying to take us up to your current journey as well in terms of your career? Absolutely. So I spent most of my career in pharma and bio, started way back when, when I was in seventh grade, you know, because, you know, we, we don't want to age ourselves, right? So uh, 22 <laughs> years in the industry, long standing advocate of female leadership. Uh, there's an organization here based in the States, but they also have a presence in Europe called the Healthcare Business Women's Association. And they're really looking at providing gender equity and equality to drive better health outcomes um, across the world. So I joined them back in 2003. I was inspired. I believe that women need to be in every meeting room at every level in organizations because they serve mainly as a chief medical officer at their homes, right? So without women and diversity and, and a great deal of inclusion, I don't think we deliver on the promise of healthcare like we can. But I was pulled to an early age to be in healthcare. So I've done healthcare and pharma for quite some time. In 2014, I left to become an executive coach because I wanted to help the leaders of pharma and bio lead better because I thought the moment called for that. And that's, it seems so long ago, <laughs> 2014, 2015. And certainly we learned a lot through the pandemic. I'm also a meditation teacher. So one of the things that I really help leaders work on is just bringing mindfulness into their cultures. Mm. 
And I found mindfulness through uh, a horrific uh, last bad day story. That's what I call it. I was hit head on by a speeding SUV when I was out training on my bicycle. It was that fundamental shift for me to really wake up to how I was showing up. And so the doctors didn't know how I survived, but I did survive. The story starts off rough, but it has a happy ending. And through that, I learned a lot about how we can relate to each other, how we can lead and deliver on some of the promises that I think we all get to deliver on. And that's it's really cool work, very exciting work. And I believe it sends a really powerful ripple out across the world. Completely agree. And um, yeah, quite a, quite a powerful story and, and experience, I guess, that, that you went through. Um, you touched on it there, and, and I know you've mentioned it before when we've spoken, and I think in the last podcast that you attended. So you've mentioned around your role in the New York chapter of the Healthcare Business Women's Association. Um, I guess both in that role and, and, and in general, how have you kind of, what challenges have you seen or, or heard of in healthcare for women, particularly, I guess, either throughout COVID or, or now um, in a post-COVID world? Yeah, so for the Healthcare Business Women's Association, I was the first male chapter president in their history. So they've been in existence now 44 years. So that was a big deal to become the New York chapter president. That's where the HBA began in New York City. And we did a whole series between New York, because obviously New York was greatly impacted by COVID mm. with our Milan chapter, if memory serves properly. Italy was sort of the first country globally experiencing COVID. So we were trying to learn from them, also share experiences here in New York. So we did a series of webinars. I do remember, this is probably my worst prediction ever in my life, I thought, by bringing everyone home and working from home, it would change the dynamic between gender roles and responsibilities. And I was really coming at it from my own perspective, my own lived experience, because both my wife and I work from home and we've been doing it for quite some time. So I thought, okay, well, if men out there now are home, working from home, they might see what happens like in the household and there might be a better division of household labor that hasn't occurred. Like I thought this might be a really good moment for women to advance and there'd be more equality and equity, but really hasn't. I think the burden of, as I mentioned earlier, being the chief medical officer at home, there is a disproportional burden that women carry when it comes to health issues within their household. Uh, obviously, COVID has impacted everyone. Uh, but not everyone in the same way. I like to say, and this is not an original quote by me, we were all in the same storm, but not necessarily in the same boat. And so we all sort of experience it differently. I think coming out of COVID, we have to be mindful and companies have to be mindful not to let proximity bias, as I, I'm calling it, as we go into more of a virtual or hybrid approach, uh, disproportionately affect uh, those looking for a more virtual and hybrid way of working uh, as opposed to coming into the office. So I, I think the struggles that women have faced and, and our non-binary royalty have faced before COVID have been sort of big, uh, amplified, if you will, 
I, I think there's still a lot of bias that we have to become aware of and take effort day in and day out, not performative effort, but day in and day out effort to bring more inclusion into our cultures. I do think we're on this cusp of a great moment to do that. The question is, will, will companies lean into this moment and really develop cultures that will change how we work together, which I think downstream will have a great impact on how we live together. Of course, of course. And I think, well, pretty straight, straightforward in terms of your answer just then, but would you say that there has been a more adverse effect for women post-COVID? I mean, it's obviously heightened the struggles, as you said, that they were experiencing previously. I would say the data, and there are many different data sources that one could examine. You can go to uh, the Google machine and pull out studies from McKinsey and other places that women have had a disproportional um, negative impact through COVID. As far as the number of women compared to men who have tapped out of the workforce, um, who uh, struggle, have struggled through the pandemic for a career advancement. Cer- certainly there are stories of people advancing and doing well through the pandemic. But for the most part, I think the data is quite clear mm. that women have shouldered a greater, um, a greater percentage of the burden than men have uh, over the last two, two and a half years. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, agree for, for, for what my, uh, my opinions were. Um, you started to talk about there um, a bit about how, com- how culture uh, has been affected. Um, when we caught up before, um, before recording, you used the term life after the wa- water cooler chat. Do you think COVID has affected businesses and their cultures negatively? I think it's too early to tell, to be honest, too soon to tell. Um, I think there's some advantages. I think one, there's a little bit more openness. I think what COVID did was break up or, you know, uh, address the myth that you can't be productive at home. There's so many companies that had old school thinking that we have to be in the office. I have to see you to trust that you're working. And I think COVID forced the hand of many leaders that had that dated philosophy or point of view that, no, we can be productive at home. We can be productive in a hybrid or virtual world, and we can be productive in the office. Uh, Some, I would say, would argue or debate that in open spacing in a lot of corporate offices today, they're not productive at all. They're highly distracting. So I think COVID has helped, the going through this, has helped break some old school thinking, some mindsets, limiting beliefs, however you want to phrase them. So I think net net, that's really good. I think what we've missed though, is the cartilage of good culture, as I like to say. It's the drive-by conversation that we've missed. It's the water cooler, hey, tell me about your weekend or what about this project? It's running into someone in the cafeteria and having an impromptu meeting, or it's the few minutes before a meeting begins or a few minutes after the meeting ends. All that, all those moments, I think, create this wonderful cartilage, if you will, if you think about the body, that strengthens culture. That now is gone. And certainly when we were all virtual, that was completely gone. 
everything became, you know, a two minute drive by became an hour long Microsoft team or Zoom affair. And that was exhausting and overwhelming to so many people. Now, yeah. now companies are coming back into hybrid mode. It's coming back a little bit, but not everyone's there. So I do think that part of this is something that companies need to address. Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at something yesterday online and it's kind of like the three components of a business that you I don't know, almost sell to future employees. And it's culture, it's the employee value proposition, and it's the benefits for the employees. And culture is the first point that you say straight away. And if a business doesn't have that part of the backbone or infrastructure, as you said, then it doesn't balance off and it makes it, yeah, the organization less welcoming to those potential prospective employees coming through. Um, so yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, so kind of taking a bit of a slight move now, um, we're obviously looking for your advice or your perspective on females um, throughout life sciences across the industry. So what advice would you give for females looking to take their career to the next step um, or those looking to get into the industry? I'd say one first thing to do is make sure you have a team of advocates that are speaking up and projecting their voice about the work you do and how you show up. I think there's an African proverb that I love. Uh, it goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So this whole concept that together we can go far. So uh, for any leader, in particular women, I would advocate for having a strong advocate team, especially if you happen to be someone who's taking advantage of more of a flexible work approach where you're you're virtual so um that you um you can you can have advocates in the office when you're not in the office so the first step i'd say is do just that also find moments where you can communicate your voice and showcase your work uh not in a braggadocious way but in a, a way that's confident and allows others to rise along with you. But I think the big thing, what we need now, is just a team of advocates that can amplify our voice, especially when we're not in the office. We have to guard against um, promoting people who are just in the office, again, going back to proximity bias. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I completely agree. I actually attended a, uh, a conference recently where um, one of the topics of conversation was around um, specifically men uh, advocating for women in STEM. Um, and I agree with some of the points you mentioned there of actually how we can be advocates um, and, and promote that. Um, so that's, that's great to hear. I guess linking to that, um, and I guess for individuals, but also organisations, um, what, what advice would you have for companies when they're tackling the challenges of inclusivity in the workplace? Um, I guess. To, to end the question, do you think organizations are doing enough? And, and I guess what advice could, could you provide? So no, I don't think they're doing enough. I think it's quite performative. I think it's, we do a whole bunch of training and the training's just not working well enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and we post things on LinkedIn or other places on days that we're supposed to, like International Women's Day, but it doesn't go far enough. To develop inclusive cultures, it's a day in, day out type of activity. It's you're up early, you go to bed late. That's what it takes. 
it's not something you just put a training program around and a voila, you think it's going to magically uh, conclude into a more inclusive work culture. Uh, and you have to have everyone involved. You have to find a way to bring men into the inclusion conversation. Men still hold a vast majority of powerful positions in this industry. Mm-hmm. If you don't invite them into the conversation, and one could say they've already been invited, but there is some data that suggests that they don't feel welcomed in the conversation for a variety of different reasons, and we can save that to another podcast. But we need to find a way to bring everyone together to say this is something that we're going to double down on because it's so vital to our performance. So, no, I don't think companies are doing enough. I think there was a flurry of activity, especially here in the States, after um, George Floyd's murder. Um, And we did a lot of good work and there were a lot of protests. But it was a fast burning flame and fire. It felt different here in the States, which was good and great. Progress should be celebrated, but we have to continue working on this. Um, We can't let go of our attention of it to make the progress that we need to make because progress is coming at a glacial pace. And that should not be acceptable to anyone because the downstream impact is that we're not providing the type of care and the type of health to the patients who need it most, if we're not willing to do the work upstream. Sure. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really valid point. Um, so what about mindfulness? Do you think companies are touching on mindfulness? Or do you think they're approaching mindfulness with the wrong perspective or direction? Yeah, I don't think any company really is doing much around <laughs> mindfulness, but they should. Um, I, think, I think for a lot of folks, in companies, they believe, well, I don't have time for mindfulness or like the idea mm-hmm. has now become a little bit more accepted, but I, I tend to forget. And again, a mindful leader is a leader that can hear, see and appreciate those around her or him. It allows more awareness, sharper focus and approaching our moments and our moments will happen with a little bit more calm. So. You know, if I t- when I talk to companies about mindfulness and the benefits, they're like, oh, yeah, like I would love leaders that would have a wider aperture or more focus to get stuff done and not freak out in all, whatever language they might use. So here, mindfulness can really help us perform better, mm-hmm. but companies are not necessarily embracing it as a way of leading. And I also think it's a it's a key component that's missing in most diversity, equity, inclusion training because mindfulness goes back to, again, hey, can we hear, see, and appreciate each other and what we bring to the table? Without mindfulness, I think it's really hard to do that. And so then it just becomes performative and it feels good in the moment, but it doesn't create the lasting results or traction that we're all looking for. Sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's actually some really um interesting comparables there whether it be mindfulness whether it be inclusivity but actually we talk through a, a lot of what we've discussed there is it's about actions i suppose as opposed to just um i'd say and and just talking about it i guess and, and coming up with solutions um final one from us which is a bit more light-hearted 
Um, how do you tend to unwind and relax? Sounds like you're a very, uh, very busy individual. So uh, when you're when you're not working, how uh, how do you relax? Oh, I get on my bike. So like cycling is life, right? So like <laughs> you know, you're out in the elements. There's headwinds and crosswinds and tailwinds. There's uphills and downhills. There are potholes. You're riding around in traffic with just basically a thin coat of lycra to protect yourself. Like for me, it's the sport. I, this year I completed a ride across the U.S. Oh, wow. Days, 3,600 miles. So if I'm not teaching meditation or advising executive leaders in pharma, you can probably find me pedaling my bike somewhere uh, in the New York area. <laughs> Oh, love that. Amazing. Yeah, love that too. And well, thank you for joining us, Michael. It's been really great to listen to your story today um, and great to re-engage you with you on our Explore Talks journey. Completely agree. I think um, your standpoint on gender equality across the industry is, is really interesting. Um, and we're definitely keen to see what actions will actually happen over the next 12, 12 months. Well, it was great to be with you both. And so, uh, again, congratulations on bringing the series back. And I hope it's meaningful to your listeners. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And um, so we, of course, going to share Michael's contact details, uh, LinkedIn details. So please do contact um, connect with him. Uh, and we are on the lookout for more guests to feature on our podcast series. So if you're interested in sharing your life science personal journey, with the Women Who Lead team, please do reach out and let us know. And just a reminder, we are getting close to our first live webinar with the Explore Talks team at the end of this month. Women Who Lead post-COVID, how has the landscape evolved for women in life sciences post-pandemic? I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we hope a lot of our listeners can join the webinar and hear from the panel. Michael will, of course, uh, be one of our panellists. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Tune in to our next episode very soon. You've been listening to Women Who Lead post-COVID, part of Explore Talks. Mm-hmm.